Welcome to Under the Radar, a show about independent iOS app development. I'm Marco Arment. And I'm David Smith. Under the Radar is never longer than 30 minutes, so let's get started. So Dave, I don't know about you, but in school, I was really good at math, only up to a certain point. Maybe like middle of high school. Once we started getting into more advanced math topics, like I think for me the the boundary was calculus. I didn't take calculus till college and I was terrible at it and I failed it twice and never went and retook it and never really learned calculus. I failed linear algebra also twice doing like advanced matrix operations and stuff like that. Never and, and never retook that, never never fixed that. Um, anything involving like really advanced calculations like that like that what that wasn't just basically combinations of basic like the, the basic like four calculator operations or yeah. you know, stuff like that like i was very bad at or never learned or tried to learn and failed at and yet we work in a field where our tools are super fast math machines that do what we tell them to and that we often need math for and i think it's funny that like a lot of programming does indeed need math but it's mostly the simpler math that i was really good at already like it's mostly like you know elementary middle and maybe high school math but it's not like most programmers don't have to do things like calculus or linear algebra or like you know theory like proofs and everything like that in their regular work or in any of their work really it's i think those are specialties um but i do occasionally run into some need for a better understanding of math than what i have and I'm curious, like, does this happen to you too? And and how do you solve it? Yes. So a it happens all the time, and it is like one of the we have. It's almost like a running joke in my house, where all of a sudden I just like it's sort of like a scene out of Beautiful Mind, and my desk just becomes just strewn with papers <laughs> filled with like scrawled formulas all over the place because I'm not particularly. Yeah, it's like I think I have a similar experience with math. Like I can do. This sort of, yeah, through me, like, I think Algebra 2 trig was sort of like, I think I took, that was sort of like, that was the, the last level of math where, and I feel like it was, that's the level of where math is still intuitive to some degree, that it's based on tangible, understandable things in a way that, like, addition, when you teach it to a child, is like, you know, I have, I have one apple, and I give, and I get another apple, how many apples do I have? It's like, well, you have two. And there's an intuitive and, like, a, a, um, you know, something concrete that you can wrap your head around. And then you get to a certain point in math and it stops being that. And it becomes this much more abstract um, sort of theoretical thing that you, I can sort of understand that like in calculus, what you're doing is you're calculating the area under a curve or the degree or the slope of a line. Like that is fundamentally what like most of calculus is, is doing but like just knowing that like that's functionally what you're doing the actually how you go about doing that very quickly becomes this totally like abstract concept where like how do you know what the slope of a sine curve is and it's like well that's like through like deep magic i don't know like I, all <laughs> i learned at a certain point was that this is the formula and i can apply this formula and i can get the right answer but i never had a intuitive understanding of anything beyond yeah, that's sort of like that algebra two trig area. Like trigonometry is where it starts to kind of I'm hitting the limit where I understand that I'm like the ratio between two lengths of a triangle, you know, is uh, that ratio is related to the angle of the corner and things like that. Like I could sort of 
it's sort of concrete and sort of understandable, but beyond that, it kind of falls apart. But this happens all the time that, and I feel like often what is most kind of frustrating is that this math shows up in places where you can, it's like at this boundary between a feature being like, all right, and a feature being really cool. Like there's this, if you wanted the extra flourish, if you want it to be that little bit cooler or do a little bit like something a little bit fancier is where the math starts to show up where you, you know, the straightforward way is you see, it's like, that's when you're dealing with just like simple rectangles and moving them around in straightforward ways. But if you want to have like a cool curve when you're doing an animation or you want to make the shape of something, not just be, um, plain, but be, um, sort of advanced or, you know, or even moreover, what I've been running into a lot recently in my work is, you know, there's a naive solution to a problem and then there's the accurate solution to the problem. Um, and the naive solution is really straightforward and easy to work with, but the like actual solution that is like sort of correct in physics or correct in like detail is where all of a sudden now I need to pull out all of the math and go and spend a lot of time just like researching online and a lot of it is the unfortunate kind of research where i i feel like i solve this problem a lot by trying to find learn just enough that i can find the right formula that i can apply and get the right answer even if i don't understand what i'm doing like there's a ton of the math that i was using for uh, like my moon project where it's like i don't understand i have no idea why like this equation gives me the you know the longitude of the moon right now but it does and it works. And once I can like, I'm just like empirically verifying it and then going like finding, you know, the NASA table where it's like, you know, I can get a, a, a table that forecasts the values of certain things over given times. My values match their values, like plus or minus a small error percent. And then I'm good. And I don't need to understand why the formula works or what's going on necessarily. But like that is that is a situation that has happened so often to me recently. Yeah, it happens to me probably every few months where I will be tackling a feature or trying to figure out, you know, some some weird edge case or something where I will quickly realize, like, you know what, I could use more advanced mathematical knowledge than what I have to solve this, or I need more advanced knowledge to solve this. And for me, like, you know, like another big hole of my knowledge is most kind of advanced stats and, like, data analysis. Like, I'm, I can't do, like, data mining. I still don't, don't understand machine learning at all. Um, and, and, and most of them haven't really tried it, but, um, like, you know, there's huge areas of that where I feel like I, I either have fallen behind or was never even in the race, um, that I probably should familiarize myself with. But even, you know, basic stuff, like if I'm trying to figure out a pattern in a bunch of data I have, and I'm trying to figure out like, yeah, I can calculate like the average and stuff. And, but, but if I, if I try to go beyond that to be like, all right, what if I like, you know, try to find clusters of meaningful data or I try to find, try to, you know, rule out the uh, outliers and and you know focus only on the middle like that's that's all like much more advanced math than anything I ever actually officially learned and sometimes you can take advantage of libraries or functions or or formulas you can find online to to do it for you sometimes you just kind of fudge it and you kind of like all right well I guess I'll figure out how to do this myself with the knowledge I have without actually looking up the right way to do it and sometimes you can get an approximate solution that kind of works. Sometimes you you accidentally come upon the actual solution without even realizing it, uh, although that's less common. <laughs> and uh, and and I find that like a lot of times the the kind of like half fake hack solution that you kind of stumble upon by doing it naively is often good enough and is often fast enough. 
Uh, and in fact, there's lots of lots of methods that you can find online of like of you know major apps or especially games. Games often take a lot of shortcuts for performance, um, where they did some kind of rough approximation of something, and that proved to be good enough or close enough for their for their purposes, and that saved you know a more, that saved them either from having to know a more advanced version or saved the computing time of the computer having to do a more advanced version. Yeah, and, and that good enough is such a like a like I feel like in weird way like because part of me as a as a developer I enjoy solving like the hard problem and doing it well like that's part of what I like doing but it's so often the it's like is this it's like the increase in effort to have the correct answer versus a close answer is you know is wildly disproportionate. Um, like I was thinking recently, I was doing a thing. So I, you know, I ha- if you imagine you're trying to show uh, the, a color and associate it with a temperature, you know, so this is for like a weather display. Like in some ways, like the first version of this that I did was a, um, like I just did this super naive version where if you take the hue of like, you know, you, it starts like a hue zero or in, um, you know, in, uh, in UI color and you, you that, that, that's red. And if you go up to about like 220-ish, that's like blue. And in between, it goes like red, orange, yellow, green to blue. Like it's, you know, it's sort of as you would expect. And the, the super simple version I did initially was just like, well, I'll take like the, the temperature um, in, in say I do, do in, like in Fahrenheit from 0 to 120, work out like what percent of that that is, and then just uh, like map that onto the hue. And so when it's really hot, it'll be, you know, red. And then when it's really cold, it'll be really blue. And like that sort of works. But then I started, you start to get like, well, what if I wanted to make it a little bit like, um, like have a, a, a more consistent visual appearance to it or have a more like a, a thoughtful or like I could have different like points along the way. Well, then I need to start to getting into like color blending and color blending is this whole crazy, like it's one of these things like you, like you open the first box, like you, you pick the, pick the book off the shelf that says color blending and you're like, Oh, that's interesting. And you can just like the first version is just do like, you know, you, I pick the points along the curve that I want the colors to be. And then I'll just do like a linear interpolation between like the RGB values at each point, which like mostly works. But then you can have these weird like middle midpoints in between your interpolations where like the color isn't really what you want, but that is like the color that you just asked for, where you were what you really start to get into like then you get into like color perception and how people are sensitive <laughs> to different colors at different intensities. So so like a yellow and a blue and a red, like the at a, at a constant hue, if you keep the saturation and like the brightness the same, like one of them will look darker than the other. And so you can end up with these weird cases where if you're just blending between them, like it looks as though the color is getting like brighter and darker in weird and uncomfortable ways. And that's because of the way people perceive color. Um, that is, you know, way all of a sudden you're starting to get like even beyond math, you're starting to get into like biology and the way that the rods and cones in your eyes work. And it's like you, you at a certain point, it's like, OK, I'm just going to close this book and I'm going to start with the uh, simple version again, um, <laughs> because the effort to get it perceptually correct is has probably now over like exceeded the the actual increase in quality that I would get by opening up this math. Um, and like that's an example where like I ended up going with a fairly simple version that kind of mostly works and doesn't deal with all the weird um, image perception issues, but gives me a pretty good answer that looks pretty good most of the time. And it's like, 
okay. Or you can do the other classic thing where in programming where I find like I often will take like there's a weird edge if there's a weird place that my my eighty percent solution works, but except for like in this, you know, in this temperature case, it's like except for between sixty and seventy degrees, my color looks wrong. And so I just like have an if statement that like, <laughs> if the temperature is between 60 and 70, change it in this way. That's not like mathematically correct. It's not like this beautiful, smooth curve. And if you really look closely between like, you know, this like one degree, one way, one degree, the other, you can notice this, you know, discontinuity in the curve. It's like, you know, like you could, but I only ever display like one color on the screen at a time. So, you know, it's probably fine. And like, that's this kind of this place where you find where you're trying to like, where on this math spectrum do I actually want to be? Like, do I want to go like, go, go crazy down the rabbit hole and then come up on the other side with this perfect solution that is like technically correct? Um, Or do I want something that's, you know, mostly good and looks fine? I mean, you know, an example like that, like you could even do something even dumber and simpler. You just have a lookup table for like integer temperature values because it doesn't, does it really matter? If you have a slightly different color for 60 degrees versus 60.5 degrees, sure, like it probably doesn't matter that much. I bet nobody would ever notice. And so you could actually just like run the basic formula, get the colors, map them to a lookup table for each temperature scale, and then just look at it and see like which of these look wrong, and then just manually adjust the ones like for those buckets. <laughs> and it would be a heck of a lot faster in performance. Uh, it wouldn't really cost too much memory, and uh, and it it would actually be a reasonable solution to that problem is since you since in this particular application you don't need a smooth blending between intervals because you, you know no one is no one is dragging a slider around adjusting the temperature in a smooth you know floating point domain and and making it so that they have to see this these nice little gradients going in like you actually could do something even simpler than that i feel like there's a lot of cases like that where we have we have opportunities for you know simplification or optimization like that that we we don't think about because we want like the theoretically best solution like this function it, it won't work for you know the for floating point values in this certain range here but it's like okay well but do you ever have those or does it matter if you just round those to the nearest integer first and then do the operation and in a, in a whole bunch of applications the answer is no it doesn't matter just like just make it work for what you will ever actually see and if it doesn't quite look right or doesn't quite draw right for these really weird edge cases that literally your app will never, it should never happen, it doesn't really matter whether it was theoretically right or not. Yeah. And the lookup table example, I think is a great one. Like I also, makes me think of in my, in, with all my moon calculations, um, at one point what I was trying to do is show the, like the timing of the new and full moons in the app. So you can say like, you know, essentially w- jump. But you, I can have you, you can kind of jump forward in time and know like, you know, when is the actual next full moon going to occur? And I went down the rabbit hole of trying to work out like, how do you calculate that? And it turns out it is just like, it is, it's not even a book. It's like a collection of books and 17 people's lives, like to try and understand how <laughs> you calculate what, when this is. And I go down this road for like, you know, maybe half a day. And in the end, I just like realize, okay, NASA has published a list of the uh, full and new moon, you know, for the next hundred years, I'll grab like 10 years of those and just <laughs> take the number that NASA has calculated and just hard code it in the app. And if I want to know when the next one is, I'll just see like, when's the next, you know, when's the one, uh, one greater than my current one. And I just have, I, you know, I think I go 10 years into the future and it's like, well, in 10 years, the app will stop working in that particular way. And either I will have fixed it and extended it or the app won't exist or I won't care. Um, and like that, 
like, or, you know, similarly, I did the same thing for like lunar eclipses, which is like something like it, it worked out well in that particular case. Cause like lunar eclipses, there aren't one for a while. So I don't need to worry about the, that particular feature, but when it does become a niche, I'll just hard code the values because I know when they're supposed to happen. Um, <laughs> Rather than like trying to calculate based on your your current coordinate, what the you know when you would perceive one, which is like a th- theoretically possible math problem, but like just hard coding the value that worked just as well. We are sponsored this week by Linode. Whether you're working on a personal project or managing your enterprise's entire infrastructure, Linode has the pricing, support, and scale you need to take your project to the next level. They have 11 data centers worldwide, including their newest data center in Sydney, Australia. With their enterprise-grade hardware, S3-compatible storage option, and their next-generation network, Linode delivers the performance you expect at a surprisingly good price. I use Linode. Dave uses Linode. I got to say, I am super happy with it. I've been with them for almost a decade. I have all of Overcast hosted there. I have my personal site server hosted there. It's just wonderful. You can get started today on Linode with a $20 credit. You get access to native SSD storage, their 40 gigabit network, interleading processors. You get root access to your server along with an API version 4 now and a Python CLI tool to automate setup if you want to. Their nano plans start as low as $5 a month, and they have lots of stuff above and beyond that if you have higher needs, including things like dedicated CPU plans with physical cores reserved just for you, GPU compute plans, a whole bunch of other stuff. So go to linode.com slash radar and use promo code radar2020 when creating a new Linode account, you get a $20 credit towards your next project. And by the way, they're hiring. If that interests you, go to linode.com slash careers. Anyway, that URL for the $20 credit, one more time, is linode.com slash radar, promo code radar2020. Our thanks to Linode for their support of this show and all of Relay FM. So I've got to imagine with a lot of your sound processing, like there's got to be a huge amount of math and like even I mean, at a certain point, like super complicated math where you start to get into like Fourier analysis and the... Like things that are very beyond what I like, I don't really even know which they involve, but I got to imagine things like Voice Boost Two that you just um, were working on. Like that's got to involve a lot of this kind of like. There's a lot of theoretical math that you have to deal with. Is that something that you have to have to like deal with the actual like formulas and equations for, or is it be at a certain point it becomes very like empirical and you're just comparing numbers and like multiplying and dividing them as needed? It's interesting. Like I. I, I have no formal training in signal processing or you know, anything like this, and so, and and what what I had to deal with when processing sound is a lot of signal processing stuff. You know, it's stuff it's stuff like filters and and you know bi quads and yeah, you mentioned that the FFT, you know, stuff like that. I'm actually lucky that Overcast currently does not use an FFT for anything. The only time I've ever actually used one in Overcast was in the very early versions when I had like the peak meters that were frequency sensitive that animated below the artwork. Sure. Um, I don't do that anymore because it, it, it was a little bit expensive for performance and it looked a little bit uh, intrusive on the screen. People didn't like it as much as I thought they would. So uh, now I just do the little peak meters and the pause button. Um, yes, I know in the current App Store version they're gone. Don't worry, they're coming back. They're in the beta right now. Um, and that's just, that's just doing amplitude, so I don't have to separate the frequency, so it's much sure. simpler. Um, but I've had to learn a lot of DSP stuff. And fortunately, most of it is like you learn a couple of concepts like how you can't just apply different gain per sample as it's curving and expect it to sound correct because it won't. Um, or, you know, things, things like, you know, doing basic look ahead, doing like attack release timing. But most of that is a very, very large amount of very, very simple math operations. It's, mm-hmm. you know, multiplication, it's addition. Like, it's not the, one of the only weird things was that 
sound is perceived, as you mentioned, like with, with the color example, like it, the way it's represented is with, you know, regular values from from one to zero to negative one as it goes like up and then back down, like in the when you see like the waveform graph. So it's like one to negative one in the float domain and with zero in the middle. But the way it's actually perceived by humans is not linear. It's logarithmic because of the decibel scale. Uh, and so I do a lot of operations in the decibel domain to make them sound better. And this is a, one of those examples where like it doesn't, I don't really need to do it in the decimal in in the log domain. I could do it in the linear domain and and it would sound okay and most people wouldn't notice, but because we perceive sound in the log domain, the more I could do in that domain, the better it would be. But also logarithms are a complicated operation for computers to do. And so you gotta be careful like not to do too many conversions back and forth or not to try to like interpolate the log at every single point of something. Like there's all sorts of optimization potential. And there's also things like approximation functions where like there are fast logarithm approximation algorithms out there that like they get you kind of part of the way there and sometimes that's good enough sometimes you know if you have like if your approximation is good to like three decimal places like that's actually pretty good for for your purposes so in some context it's not and so there there was a whole bunch of figuring that kind of stuff out but for the most part most of the math i'm doing is like vector based which is like you know like you basically look at the accelerate library and in, in the and the vdsp functions that apple provides and it's mostly just applying the you know the basic operations like addition subtraction multiplication uh to vectors of floats which is just a fancy word for arrays of floats <laughs> so you have like a float array of like a thousand floats and all right these are the next thousand samples and you can say all right what's the uh, maximum magnitude of in this thing which is like you know basically the absolute value maximum and so you can say, all right, that's the peak. So when I'm rendering my peak samples, I can say, all right, look, take a, take a look at this next block and what's the maximum magnitude, VDSP, max MGV, bam. These function, these function names make no sense when you're first looking at them, but as you get used to them, you kind of pick up the convention. There is a convention. <laughs> and so then, then you can rattle them off and sound really crazy. Uh, and then so you can, you can call these functions on them and it basically like rips right through it. It's like these functions are so fast. And then I have the maximum amplitude value uh, the, and maximum absolute amplitude value in the next block of samples. And that gives me my peak value for my peak meter display. So like the concepts and learning, learning what these do looks intimidating from the outside because you have all these like mysteriously named functions and you're operating on very large amounts of data. Um, but really what you're doing is very simple operations. And it's the, the challenge for me was more in learning like how to manipulate sound to do what I wanted in like basic techniques, but it wasn't so much about like the math behind it. The only exception to that is I had to do some amount of figuring out biquads, which is like a method of if you if you ever want to implement like an EQ or frequency you know modification. Uh, the way I thought naively that you did it, I assumed that you would use an FFT to to transfer from the time domain to the frequency domain modify like whatever bucket you wanted of frequency is like change of this value like from you know 0.7 to 0.6 that'll drop that frequency and then do an inverse fft and put it back and it turns out that isn't how you do it at all (laughs) that's you you can do things that way but it's much more complicated and way slower and you have to do a lot of other things to make it not you know suck or distort the sound in weird ways and so you can also use this thing called a biquad filter that is way simpler and this is what 
everything does. Like you know, pretty much any kind of like EQ or filter thing that you see in apps, the iTunes EQ, all that stuff is just by quad filters. And I had no idea what those were or how they worked. And I still don't. I like all I know is that I found some equations for how to generate like the numbers to plug into the bi-quad filter. And there's a VDSP bi-quad function that does the calculation for me. <laughs> so all I did was like, how do I make these coefficients? And I looked up, you know, certain formulas. All right, here's how you make a notch filter. Here's how you make a peak filter, like stuff like that. And then I plug it into this formula that's already there. So that's an example where like there is some very complex math behind that that I probably should know, but I didn't have to because the library took care of most of it for me and some, you know, a few days of, you know, web research and Stack Overflow and Google and stuff took care of the rest. The thing you just said, though, like the you probably should know, like I think increasingly I don't I'm not sure that's even true. Hmm, That's a good point. Like I, I. because I think there's the this is the like this is the root of this problem is it's like do you need to like do you need to understand the physics of leverage in order to use a hammer <laughs> like you know like you, you, like would you be more would you be more capable or wield it more efficiently um, if you understood the way of like the way that a lever works and like all of the, and like that type of or like the transfer of inertia like there's these things where if you understand the fundamental like the underpinnings and the math and the physics and whatever it is of what's going on. Like you can imagine, and I can sort of, I can, I can imagine myself in this pretend, like this pretend world where I understand this thing that I, my, the end result would be better. And like, it probably would be better, but almost certainly not by as much as you would imagine it is that like, I think in my increasingly what I find is it's like, if, if, if I can understand something enough to know how to use it and understand that there might become a point where there's a bug or an issue or an edge case that I can't deal with, like, that's fine. But it also means that I don't have to spend like three years um, getting a PhD in the subject to like, because the, what I think what I, what I realize is you hit a point where the like, there's this massive chasm between the just like basic intuitive understanding of something and then like the actual deep understanding and it isn't just like, oh, this is like, a, you know, a, a quiet afternoon sipping a cup of coffee on, on my porch reading a book. It's like, no, this is like I need to go to cl- like college level classes to like unpack and understand what's going on. You know, it's like I don't really understand how Bezier paths work, like the math behind them. Like I remember trying to kind of get a sense of what's going on there. Um, and it's like I sort of could maybe get like I, I was like, you know, could crack through like 0.1% of it. But at a certain point, I'm like, I don't know. And it's fine. I just like, you know, move the control point until it looks correct. And then that's fine. Um, and like, if I truly understood the math behind it, maybe that would be better. But like at a certain point, be, like, I, I think the key thing in some ways that in with like in my relationship with math and my work is understanding that like, it's I was, there were problems that I was not solving or like solutions I was ignoring because I thought I would have to understand it at a deep level in order to use it. And I think increasingly it's like you, you don't need to necessarily understand it. You can, it's, it's totally fine and legitimate to just have a working version of the solution and then 
use that. You know, there's many things in computer science and in, you know, in the design of applications that I don't understand and I don't need to understand. Like I'm not really good on some of the graphics stuff where like how, like the way frame, frame buffers work and the display links. And like, there's these things, these tools that I use when I'm like making an animation that I really don't understand that, you know, the, the ins and outs of, but I understand enough to make it work. And I think that like accepting and being okay with that is opens up all these problems to you um, that you just can you can solve now. Like because if you if you had to understand what was it bi cubic bi quads bi quads. <laughs> yep. If you had to understand bi quads in order to use bi quads, then you probably wouldn't be using bi quads, and you wouldn't have an EQ filter, and you wouldn't have features and things that you, you know that that were, would be available to you. And so I think increasingly I find it's like just it's okay just accept that this is someone else's job in the same way that I don't design silicon chips. I just use them. Um, like so, so someone else has done the hard work of coming up with the math and, you know, they sure they got a PhD out of it and they can put some letters after their name as a result. But I just want to, you know, use the thing and have it work. And that's probably good enough for me. I guess that's, yeah, I guess I usually do feel that same way. Like that, that is usually my philosophy of like, if, you know, somebody else can, can figure out the complex mathematical details of this thing and then I can just use it. it. It does occasionally bite you in the butt. Like if, if something goes wrong or if you're having some kind of massive performance issue that like, and it, it, it does help to understand some of the underlying stuff then, but that just doesn't happen very often anymore. So you can, you actually can just like let someone else do the algorithm or the formula, figure it out and then just use it. Yeah. I think then that's good enough. And like, it's fun to use math that I learned in high school that at the time when I was learning it, I thought, why would I ever use this? You know, I'm never going to use trigonometry in my real life. And it's like, actually, I use trigonometry all the time. Yeah, me so too. <laughs> if, there's any, if there's any kids listening, tri- it's like trigonometry is the, real, is the real stuff. Make sure you learn that. Yeah, right triangle trig. That's, that's important. <laughs> that's important. <laughs> Not much after that is, but that's important. <laughs> that's important. Forget about calculus. Right triangles is where it's at. Thanks for listening, everybody. And we'll talk to you in two weeks. Bye.